Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. It might seem weird or even unwise for Abraham to give Lot the first pick in what land they were going to live on. However, one of the main forces behind that was Abram's generosity. You're listening to Hard Choices in the Wilderness by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this evening is from the first book of the Bible, the chapter of Genesis. I will read uh, Genesis 13. Genesis 13, verses 1 through 18, which is, in fact, the whole chapter. Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. And from the Negev, he went from place to place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar, and there he called upon the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together, and quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in that land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between our herders and my, your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like Eden, like, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east, and the two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and the south and the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go! Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. As a former youth group leader, longtime youth group leader, in my life I have played a lot of spoons. A lot of spoons. As a youth group leader, you're always looking for games that you can play with groups that'll bring them together in a pinch. And Spoons is a great go-to game. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, Spoons is a game, uh, it's kind of a card game. Uh, You sit in a circle, so if your youth group meeting has 15 people in it, you sit in a circle, and in the middle, you put 14 spoons, okay? One less than the number of people in the circle. And then everyone's dealt four cards, and you start passing cards around the circle, And as soon as someone gets four cards the same, that person can either grab or sort of sneakily take a spoon from the middle. 
And the rest of the players, as soon as they see that other person grab, it's like when the music stops in musical chairs, everyone has to grab a spoon. Everyone grabs a spoon, and the person who doesn't get a spoon, the one person, is eliminated. In my experience, um, this game reveals the savage side of people. When the first spoon gets grabbed, usually you get a wild rumpus. I, I have seen gentle covenant children, sweet girls, boys who, who would never talk back to their mother. I have seen them deal savage things in an attempt to get the last spoon. I have seen the thin veil of civilization torn asunder for the sake of a spoon. Now, why am I talking about spoons? Because Spoons is a picture of, a case study of, an extreme case study of, what people do in times of scarcity. When there's not enough to go around, this is how people behave. And Abram, in our text, is living in a time of scarcity. Our text is very clear, there is not enough to go around. And it's not because Abram's poor, he's very rich, but so is Lot and they're living in a small area of land, and there's just not enough for everyone. And now his herders are starting to fight with lots of herders, and things are getting tense. You might say there's not enough spoons to go around. So this scarcity, this situation of scarcity, pushes Abram into a decision. He and Lot climb up a hill where they have a vista of the entire land, and they stand up on the hill while the dust swirls around them and they look over the plains that roll out beneath them. Out to the west, towards the land of Canaan, the land looks, eh, pretty ordinary. There's some places for grazing, but they're not great. There's a lot of scrubby land. There's a lot of desert, a lot of rocks out to the west. To the east, oh, that's the plain of the Jordan, the flood plain. And the blue ribbon of the Jordan River goes through the plain and everything around it is emerald green and that is a place where you could grow things. Lot and Abraham look over these two sides. And there's a moment of silence and then Lot grabs the spoon. Well, Abraham, if it's, it's all the same to you, uh, if, it, if it doesn't matter one way or the other, I think I'll take that land over there. Okay, see you. Say hi to Sarah for me. Bye. He walks quickly off towards the east and the green land. Abram hangs his head. The yellow dust swirls at his feet, and he tries to imagine what he's going to tell Sarah. You gave Lot the green land, and you gave us? You chose this C-plus land for us? It's almost like Lot is the uncle, and you're the nephew. Come on, Abraham, sometimes I don't understand the things you do. And objectively, Abram's behavior here is a little strange. He'd be bad at spoons because he does, as the older, he does have the right. He has the right of first choice, and he gives that up. Lot proves that he would be really good. He is really good at spoons. When he sees the opportunity in the time of scarcity, he grabs. Abram's strange behavior is rooted in two things. It's rooted in generosity. There's something in Abram that wants to defer. Even if he has the right to grab, there's something in him that will not grab those rights, but will give 
and sacrifice for the sake of Lot. So it's partly rooted in generosity, but I think more it's rooted in obedience. The land he ends up in, which is clearly the worst land, is closer to the place of the promise. When Abram first comes to the land, you read about it in chapter 12, he comes to Shechem, he builds an altar, and God says to him in that place, this land, look around you, Abram, this land, this is what I'm going to give to your ancestors. This will be the land for your people, and you will be a great nation in this place. That land over there may be green, but it's further away from that place where Abram stood and God promised. And so as good as that land looks, Abram defers and he goes to the place of the promise. Instead of living out of the scarcity of the moment, he lives out of the eternal abundance of the covenant. Not the scarcity of the moment, the eternal abundance of God's promises and his covenant. That is not something Abram always did. In fact, in the story right before this one, which I think you will remember, he does exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. He lives out of scarcity and not the covenant. In Genesis 12, at the end of Genesis 12, there's a famine in the land, scarcity. And, and, and what does Abram do? Do you remember? He goes to Egypt. He doesn't stay in the land that he's supposed to stay in. He goes to Egypt because he hears there's good things in Egypt. which He goes away from where God wants him to be. And not only that, when he gets to Egypt and the Egyptians start looking at Sarah and think that she's beautiful, he passes her off as his sister. He grabs spoons at the end of Genesis 12, lives out of scarcity, and it doesn't go well. He has this awkward moment where Pharaoh scolds him for being disobedient. The king of Egypt scolds the father of the covenant for being disobedient. And it's almost like in this story, he learned from that behavior, and this time he's going to do better. This time he's going to do right. And that's not an easy thing to do, because sometimes being obedient in a time of scarcity means you end up standing on the top of a hill with the dust swirling around your feet all by yourself. Your marriage is difficult. Your spouse was never an easy person, but now they've got mental illness on top of it, and it can be really, really hard. And all around you, there are people and messages from culture saying, self-compassion, take time for yourself. This is your time. Don't waste your life. But you stick with it because you know that's what you're called to do. Or he just had the amniocentesis done. And it looks like the baby might have problems. And the doctors say, it might be severe problems. And again, all around you, there are people who say, oh, there's an easy way to solve that. Just make an appointment. But through tears, you say, nope. Nope. I'm going this way. You've never been so nervous about the economy. Every time you turn on the news, it's doom, doom, doom. What is going to happen? Everything's going wrong. And all your friends are freaking out. But at the same time, in your mail, you've never had so many letters where charities and things that are really important, they're saying to you, the need has never been so great. Please help us. Please help us. Please help us. And many of your friends are pulling in their resources, but you keep writing the checks. There are all sorts of places where living by God's promises means doing hard things 
in a place where you look really foolish and you end up standing all alone with the dust swirling around you. God does not let Abraham stand alone on that hill. See what happens at the end of the passage? Abraham's standing there contemplating his choice, and the Lord comes to him and reaffirms the promises. Abram, don't be afraid. I know that at the moment it doesn't feel like the right thing, but I will give east, west, north, south. Look around you. This will be your land. I will make you thrive in this place. You are my chosen one. And God does a lot more than encourage Abraham in this story. For all of us who try to stay obedient, later he sends his own son to face more or less exactly what Abram faces in our story. Remember Chad's sermon last week? Jesus went up to a high mountain and the devil offered him two choices. If you bow down to me, all the kings in the world will be yours. And in that moment, it was like before Jesus, there were these two paths. Over here was the way of the cross and it went through a really dark place. And it was really painful. On the other side of it, all authority in heaven and earth would be given to him once he rose from the dead. It was a hard road. On this side, just a little disobedience, just for a second, all the kings of the world. Jesus chose the hard way, the way of obedience. That sounds just like Abram in Genesis 13, doesn't it? We call ourselves covenant children. And what that means is that we are people who feel the scarcity of the moment, but live out of the abundance, the eternal abundance of God's covenant. And that's a hard thing to do, but when we do it, our light shines in this world. I remember it was about 35 years ago that uh, the movie The Last Temptation of Christ came out. You remember that movie? It caused a big stir, super controversial. It was a Martin Scorsese uh, Willem Dafoe starred as Jesus. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ. And a lot of people uh, complained about it. I actually saw it when I was in grad school. And one of the things that Christians complained about was that Jesus was really portrayed as really, like, extraordinarily human in that movie. Like, almost wishy-washy. So Willem Dafoe as Jesus would be saying, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. Is this really what I want? And he was always anguishing about whether he really wanted to follow through with what God was asking him to do. And of course, a lot of Christians didn't like that. They thought that was a terrible portrayal. And it wasn't just Christians. Back then, I read a review of a Jewish person who objected to that portrayal of Jesus. And this is what this Jewish person wrote. He said, I don't like this picture of an indecisive Jesus. My parents were protected by Christians during the war, World War II. During the Nazis came, they showed up at the house of their Christian neighbors and said, please help us. Knocked on the door out of nowhere, please help us, please do something, save us. And our Christian neighbors, without hesitating, without flinching, took us in and hid us and saved my parents' lives. That was a time of scarcity. Could have cost that Christian couple their lives, but in that time of scarcity, they lived out of the covenant. Now, of course, a lot of Christians didn't do that in the Second World War in Europe. 
A lot of Christians, the Jews knocked on their door, they closed the door. Some Christians did worse. Some of them collaborated with the Nazis. But these people lived out of the covenant, and their testimony shines like a bright light in this world. When you hear a story like that, inevitably you ask yourself, would I have done that? If those Jewish people knocked on my door in that sort of a time, would I have taken them in? Would I have taken that risk? And it's hard to know because the truth is we're all like Abraham. One day, one chapter, we're living out of our scarcity. The next day, the next chapter, we're obeying our Lord. We go back and forth. We are works in progress. So, all you works in progress. For the times you live out of the promise and you are obedient and it is hard and you're standing all alone on the hill with the dust swirling around you, I give you the encouragement that God gave to Abraham. Lift up your heads. Do not be afraid. Do not let your heads hang down. You are God's people. He is faithful. He will keep his promises to you. And for those times when you fail, when you do savage things out of scarcity, I show you another man on the hill, all alone, with dust swirling around him. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who on a weekend of terrible scarcity, when everyone else abandoned him and fled, when everyone else grabbed the spoon and fled, he stood by himself and poured himself out for us and for our salvation. Jesus shed his blood so that those covenant promises will be there for us. Because of him, our back and forth lives are held secure. Because of him, uh, we works in progress will always progress. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our God, we, we thank you for your word, which shows us very human people like Abraham who struggle just like us, who are sometimes faithful and who sometimes fall. We thank you most of all, though, Lord, for your covenant, which is underneath us like a mighty river carrying us along even on days when we are scared and unfaithful. Lord, may this week be a week where we live out of your promises and live the abundance of your life. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.